Welcome to Calvary Temple Podcast. We hope that you enjoy and are challenged by Pastor Kyle's message. If you are blessed by this ministry, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at Pastor Kyle at CalvaryTempleTH.org. If you are ever in the area, we would love to have you visit us at 2100 North 6 and a half Street, Terre Haute, Indiana, 47804. Our service times are at 830 and 1030 a.m. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. All the T's are kind of together there in the New Testament towards the end, so if you find one, you are close. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You may be seated. As I mentioned, this is the first in a three-part series called Good Grief. This is part one. And um, the the first thing that that we see here, um, uh, the first point I want you to realize is that grief is not a bad thing. He doesn't say here, and some people misinterpret this, uh, some people misinterpret the scripture to say, we do not grieve. He doesn't say that. He says, we don't grieve like other people. And he makes the distinction. What the difference is, is he says, we don't grieve as people without hope. We grieve with hope. So we're going to talk about how do we grieve with hope. And so I want you to realize that, first of all, grief is a good thing. Grief is a godly thing. Grief is how God designed us. And so when you lose someone you love, or or there's a lot of things we can grieve. We're going to talk this morning primarily about grief through death. But you can also have grief through uh, just the loss of physically. As your body begins to run down and you can't do the things that you could do, you kind of grieve a little bit your independence. You can grieve a relationship. Some people have been through divorce. Some people have had uh, family issues that have happened. There's a lot of different things in life that we can grieve, any kind of loss, or even anticipated loss, there's anticipatory grief, we grieve at at those moments. And so we're going to talk about that. And God's designed us to do that. And if we stuff our grief, instead of expressing our grief, it actually can cause a lot of physical issues, emotional issues. It it creeps up later. So I want to encourage you, first of all, to to realize that, that grief is a good thing. When done in the proper way, I have, it's kind of a, a heavy message this morning. So uh, I, I wanted to to work a joke in somewhere, and so I asked. Uh, I, I couldn't come up with a good grief joke, and so uh, Brian said, "Well, I'll help you out." So he uh, texted me, and the joke he texted me. Yeah, I said, Brian, I can't use that. I'll get in trouble because he said, "What food causes the most grief?" And the answer was wedding cake. And I said, Brian, you want to get me killed? Uh, so. 
we have no joke this morning. But uh, if we don't properly grieve, what, what can happen is we get emotionally stunted at that area of our life. So, so let's say somebody's like 12, 13 years old and a tragedy happens. They don't properly grieve that tragedy. Sometimes emotionally they kind of get stunted around that age in some certain areas. And, and that creeps up later. Even Jesus. Of course, what was the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. That's right. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. Even Jesus grieved. The prophets of old grieved. There's a prophet called Jeremiah that's actually called the weeping prophet. He writes a whole book called Lamentations where it's just his book as he is grieving. And uh, David, 40% of the Psalms are about grief. So really what grief is, is, is grief is a sign of our love for someone. Because if we don't love someone, we don't grieve them. Hey, I'll give you an example. I, I can see on TV, uh, you know, let's say they have a commercial for starving kids at, over in, in um, some foreign country. Uh, I can have a, a moment of compassion as I see this kid with a swollen stomach and I realize he's going to be dead in a few days. But since I don't actually know that child, I, I have this moment of compassion and I think that's horrible. But then the commercial's over and the show starts back up. And guess what? I've forgotten all about it. I'm back into the show, Right? Because I, ha- I don't know that person. I don't love that person. I don't have a connection. But when it's somebody close to you that's going through something, that grief comes because it's a sign of our love for them. So grief is a sign of our love, and that's a, a natural thing. Now, the, the Psalms, there's a Psalm in Psalm chapter 126, verses 5 and 6, and it says, They who sow in tears will reap in joy. Now, I find that an interesting illustration to sow in tears because this is a a farming term. And and the Bible is all about sowing and reaping. Uh, If we, you know, many pastors preach about that from a financial standpoint. If you sow your tithe, God is going to bless. He's going to multiply it. And and that's true. But so many times people just get caught up in that aspect of it. And they don't realize that this sowing and reaping is in all areas of our life. And so... Uh, Rod has been mentioning how God has been dealing with him in this area of grace and he's been talking about grace well if you sow grace guess what you're going to reap grace right and so there's all kinds of things we want to sow to other people love we want to reap love we want to sow friendship we want to reap friendship but that kind of makes sense to me because you're reaping exactly what you're sowing. But this is kind of a bizarre one because he's saying when you sow tears, you're not going to reap tears, you're going to reap joy. I find that fascinating. Even the illustration, because when a farmer has this seed, he doesn't stuff the seed, but he also doesn't just dump the seed. He sows the seed. It's very intentional. So when we are grieving, I want you to sow your tears. See, our, our society, we've, we've kind of done this weird thing with, with grief. Uh, those of you that have had a loved one pass away, you, you kind of see how the world works. It's kind of like, okay, you get three days off work and then you're supposed to be back to normal. Well, you can't just go dump the seed in, in, in three days and, and expect life to work. It doesn't work that way, does it? So we don't dump the seed, we sow the seed. This is a process, and it takes time. But but the good news is if you sow the seed, if you take that time, you will reap the harvest. But once I, like I said, you, you have to kind of be counter-cultural in this. 
Uh, grief has changed a lot just over the, the last several years. Uh, back in biblical times, uh, when, when somebody would die, they would actually put on sackcloth and ashes, and they would mourn like this whole month-long process of mourning where your friends would come over and sit with you. It's kind of called sitting in Shiva with the, the person, this kind of Jewish term. And, and this was kind of what would happen in biblical times. And uh, as time has passed, it seems like that grieving time has become shorter and shorter and shorter. Uh, I have a friend of mine, fascinating guy named George. And George is in his 90s, and George is a fifth-generation funeral homeowner. Matter of fact, uh, until he finally had to sell his funeral home, he was, uh, his funeral home was the oldest family-owned funeral home in Indiana. It was down at Vincennes. And George, even though he's in his 90s, he uh, still likes to work. So he's still a funeral director. So I still will do funerals with George, and we'll ride together out to the graveside, and we'll talk, and he'll tell me stories because George is a talker. And uh, he's got so many stories. You can imagine over 90 years the amount of funerals this guy has done. Well, one of the stories he told me one time was about when he was 10 years old and uh, he was helping his dad and he would help his dad take the generator out to the chicken coop. They'd put the generator in the chicken coop and run lights into the house and, and they would have the wake in the house for the family. And it would kind of be kind of this week-long thing of people bringing in food and mourning and, and this week-long event. That's how things were when uh, George was younger. Well, when, when I started pastoring 25 years ago, uh, things that went from a week in the home to kind of two days at the funeral home. So you would kind of have the, the viewing the night before, four hours, kind of four to eight, and then uh, the, the funeral the next day. So we would went from a week to two days. And uh, as I've watched things progress over the years, of people still do that, but that's actually not the most common anymore. Now a lot of times, because of finances and work schedules and the way things are, there, there's a lot of funerals that I will do that the showing's like 10 to 11 and the funeral starts at 11. Or a family says, uh, we're just going to do a cremation, we're not going to do a funeral at all. Or maybe we'll do a celebration of life a month from now when everybody gets together. And it's kind of, we keep shortening this grief time, and then we wonder why we have issues because we're not grieving. Right? And so I want to, first of all, give you permission to grieve today, but... I also want you to realize that grief isn't this neat little package. It, it doesn't just, uh, you go to the funeral and you get closure. Or, man, it's been a year, why aren't you over it? How, how do you get over it? Or, why aren't things back to normal? When you lose somebody you love, life is never normal again. I, I used to say you need to develop a new normal. And, and a friend of mine uh, she had lost her husband a couple years ago. She said, I, I like to view it as I, I needed to develop a new rhythm in my life. And I like that. Because we do need to develop a new rhythm. We can't stop. But we need to realize things change. And that's okay. So give yourself permission to grieve. Give yourself permission to develop this new rhythm. And when you have other people that don't understand saying, why don't you just get over it? It's not that they're bad people. They just don't understand. And that's okay. You notice uh, that, that verse started out, we don't need to be uninformed. The, the King James says we don't need to be ignorant like some. Just view it that they're ignorant. That's okay. They just don't know. 
And there'll be a point when they lose somebody close and then all of a sudden they'll think, oh my lands, I can't believe I said the things I said. Right? And so we, we all grieve in a different way. Uh, but one of the things I want to, to share today, I've, I've wanted to preach this sermon this morning for about three years. And it just hasn't seemed to be the right timing. And I just felt like today was the day. So I think it's God ordained that each one of us is here today and that this is the time for today's sermon. But, but uh, three or four years ago when I wanted to preach this sermon, one of the things that we did is uh, we, we uh, had Wes and Melissa kind of share a little bit of their testimony. And so they uh, kind of videoed, we kind of taped them. And uh, this week I kind of took just some little sections of their testimony. M- Melissa did a great job of sharing. Wes is a man of few words, so he didn't say quite as much. But uh, Melissa did just a great job to share a little bit of their grief journey. Their son... Leland was killed by a, a drunk driver at 22 years old. He was on a motorcycle and drunk driver hit him and well over the legal limit, also drugs in his system. And it's been a journey, hasn't it? And it's not something you just get over. And so she shared a, a little bit of that and, and I pared some of that down. And the clip's going to end kind of on an awkward spot, but, but that's intentional and I'll share that later. And I'm going to do kind of part two of that clip in, in two weeks. So we're going to see uh, the first part of her testimony this morning, if you can get the lights. Don't be mad if I cry. My name's Melissa Owens, and this is my husband Wesley, and um, I wanted to share a little bit about um, what we went through when we lost our son. I just want you to know that everyone grieves differently, but this is our story. So I hope people find it helpful, but it's not its not the same for everyone. I'll never forget what we went through. May 22nd and 23rd of 2012, um, we were in our room getting ready for bed, and um, I heard my daughter in the other room being real loud and yelling and um, I got up to tell her that uh, our youngest daughter was asleep and that we were getting ready to go to bed and she needed to quiet down and as I listened to her conversation I realized something was wrong and she said mom Leland's been in an accident so Wes took the phone called the officer and uh, he said that Leland was in a very bad accident and he was going to be lifeline to Indy. But if we got to regional hospital right now, we could see him before he left. We all got in the car, headed to regional. Um, We got there and uh, we got to see Leland. The officer stopped the, the, the kids. Uh, at this point, we have our t- two girls and Lynn's girlfriend, and he stopped them from going in. But he let Wes and I go in, and he was on the board, all ready to be. He's in the bed. He's in the bed, and uh, I don't remember a lot of what he looked like. Wes went in, and um, kind of stopped me at his feet. He said he looked bad. They had a neck collar on him, and the team was there to fly him to Indy. 
Finally, the doctor came in. swelling on his brain. And you know it's it's pretty much over. The organ donation people were so nice. They kept coming back to ask if we had any questions and they gave us a box when we left the hospital. Room for a picture. And it had a nice poem on it, and a book in it, and a medal. Thanking us for donating and saving someone else. I just remember leaving the hospital without my son. We didn't go to church regularly, and I remember thinking, now it's now it's too late. I uh, can't take my son to church and teach him all the things that he should know. There's just no more time for that. I always wanted to raise them going to church, but I just put it off. And as they got older, I thought, how am I going to get grown kids? Leland was 22 at this point, and he's the baby boy. My youngest daughter, our youngest daughter's 14. Um, and then there were... Uh, the other, all the other four are, are older than that and I thought how do I get 20 some year old people to go to church and uh, I just kept putting it off and I realized that night that I didn't have any more time Thank you for sharing. I know that's hard to open up about things that are going on in our life. You know, that scripture, the distinction it makes is that we have hope. And it says we're to comfort one another with these words. That's what we're to remind ourselves of is the hope that we have. And you know, with God, there's always something going on that we're not aware of. There's always more going on than meets the eye. I remember reading a book by Deverne Fromke one time, and this book, he told a story of years ago back when they had whaling vessels and ships, and they'd harpoon these whales, of uh, this seaman that was just a vile man, just a horrible, mean guy. He got swept over the boat and actually got swallowed by this whale, and they were able to harpoon the whale and kill it and get the guy out, and he was alive. <coughs> And he shared his testimony afterwards. He says as he was flipping over the side into the water, he remembered how he was raised and he cried out to God and he said, God, save me. 
And he turned his life over to God. And it was interesting. He said, you know, if I would have died at that moment, he said, nobody that knew me would have realized. They, they would have been so surprised to see me in heaven. But see, there was more going on than meets the eye. I love uh, what the story of Leland. Um, I, I had the privilege of doing Leland's funeral. Biggest, Honestly, in, in the years of ministry, it's the largest funeral I've ever done. And... Uh, there was a little bit of uh, backstory to things. See, I had to met Leland before I met his parents because Darian, one of our youth, uh, he was friends with Leland, and, and Darian and I, we started a basketball team here at the church. And uh, the first year, things went really good. Well, the second year, I wasn't going to play. I got busy with a bunch of other things, and we were short some people. And Darian said, I, I would like to uh, get a bunch of my friends to play with the church team. And I said, no problem. And... Uh, it was no problem initially. Uh, I'm just going to tell on Leland a little bit here. Uh, it was no problem initially, but uh, it, it became a little bit of a problem because he had just a little bit of a temper, especially on the basketball court. And so I had some people say, Pastor, I, I don't know if these new guys are, are representing the church very well. And I was kind of torn because I was so excited because they had started to come to church. And so I was meeting these people and they're coming to church. But at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to give the church a bad name. But it's, I just felt like, hey, it's okay. I liked Leland and we just hit it off. And um, I played with them a few times and just had a great time. And I thought, you know what? I, I don't care. This is a God thing. And um, so, so out of that experience... Uh, he and some of his friends started coming to church, started coming to youth group, and uh, he and Darian were real close, and they were eating lunch together every day. And uh, what happened is uh, Leland actually one night accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And that next Sunday, he came to church, and some of you might have been there that Sunday. Uh, he and I, I think it was Lance Weir with him, I can't remember, stood up and actually gave their testimony. And he gave his testimony about accepting Christ. And I had forgotten all about that. And, you know, it was probably a year later or so, he's in this accident, and I'm asked to do his funeral. And Darian tells me, Darian says, uh, you know, he's got family coming in from California and different people. There's people that don't know that he's changed. They just remember him being wild. They, they don't know that he accepted Christ. He said, did, did we get his testimony on tape? Because we record the sermons. And I said, probably not, because uh, usually we... Don't start to, you know, our, our sound team, they actually, when, when I start the Apostles' Creed is when we kind of click record. And then we start the, the recording. We don't have any of the rest of the sermon recorded. But I said to Darian, I said, do you know approximately the time frame? And, and I'll see if I can find it. And so he gave me, he said, I think I might even know what Sunday it is because he'd written down when, when Leland had accepted Christ. And so uh, we kind of got that date together. I went back and I looked and... Uh, I'll show you what I was able to play at the funeral. They actually got to hear Leland's voice at the funeral, which was kind of cool. And um, if, if the sound people can go ahead and play that clip now. I'd say like since college, like that's when like stuff started. Like Darian kind of like started like working on me and trying to get me to, Leland, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. And I'm just like, I was just like, all right, well, I'll listen to him for the 20 minutes we eat and then make him happy and then when I leave I'm gonna do what I want so it wasn't like a life-changing thing like he'd have me pray before we ate and then like so it, like we'd alternate if he prayed last time I prayed this time just like just like we do now 
Well, um, I think that's where it started. Well, we started hanging out like a month and a half ago, like almost every day. We just, day after day, it just out of nowhere started. Well, after that, he invited me to youth group. I started going to youth group, and it was just like a, well, I don't have anything to do, so I'm going to go to youth group type thing. It wasn't because I wanted to go, really. It was just, just might as well go. There's nothing else to do. So I started going to that. I met some friends. I met some people. Like, I guess I rekindled some friendships I already had. I met new people. Like, I don't know. It's just like every time I go, it's like more and more loving and stuff like that. Well, after a while, I, uh, like, I've been hanging out with Darian and stuff, and he has these long talks with me. Like, every time we hang out, and it's like, man, God can do this for you, and God can do that. And I'm like, I mean, like, that's tight, I guess. Like, cool. He can. He can do a lot of stuff, that's nice, but that's not me. And like, I guess I'm like that kind of kid that like most people hate. Like I used to like cause trouble, have a bad temper, stuff like that. So Darian's working pretty hard. I mean, this is some hard work. No, so we went, we went out to lunch, we go out to lunch a lot, and um, he tried to talk to me a little bit, but we didn't really talk in, inside. We went out to the car and we were talking, and um, we actually talked through one of my classes, and I got an F on a paper, but I think it, it, I think it was worth it because, like, he showed me that basically, like, through God, like, everything's going to be okay, basically, like, you know, if I just, if I just let things happen, if I don't have such a quick temper, if I pray about it, or, you know, I turn to him, it'll, it'll be all right, so I start, like, getting more in tune with God, like, I pray, and I do that, and then, a while later, I'd been coming to youth groups probably, probably like three weeks, which for a lot of us isn't much at all. Like, I'm not like, I wasn't like a huge Christian. I mean, I'm still not the best, you know. But, like, I started coming to youth group, and um, me and Darian had hung out, like, all night or something. Well, the night after youth group, I ended up getting saved. And, like, ever since then. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> but, um, like, ever since then, it's just, like, every time I have a problem, like, I can turn to God. It's just things like that that I know, like, God is real and God loves me and, like, he wants things for me. And, you know, it just keeps me, like, in tune with, like, going to church and, you know, coming here. And, like, especially, like, the love like, just makes me want to keep coming back and the experiences I keep having with God. And, like, I don't know, he, Darren keeps telling me that God has a path and he has something he wants for me. And, like, it just makes me follow it even more. He said God has a, a path. And through what God did, of course, now his whole family is in church. And people got saved even at the funeral. I know uh, my friend Linda's here today. And just at her husband's funeral, we have people accept the Lord. And God does amazing things. And as Christians, we have hope. We have a purpose. So he says to sow in tears, but he doesn't leave it there. He says that there's a harvest of joy. One thing we need to realize about grief is that in Psalm chapter 23, very familiar psalm to all of us, especially at funeral services. And David writes, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Now, just in that one verse... <coughs> First of all, he says, yea, though I walk through the valley. He's showing us that uh, grief is a, uh, 
It's a valley to be walked through, not a destination to be camped out in. He he doesn't say, I camp out in the valley of grief. He says, I I walk through it. So, uh, I I used to say grief is a journey. I I think I would change that now because journey seems like a a straight line, doesn't it? I, I would say grief is a maze. You ever done a corn maze? You ever see the blonde corn maze? There's just one stalk in the blondes there. That's a funny picture. But uh, If you do corn maze, what, what happens is you're walking, you, you think you're on the right path, you think you're going the right direction, and then you come to a dead end. And when you come to a dead end, you turn around and you walk, and then you come to another dead end, and you turn around. But eventually you find your way out if you keep moving. You don't hit a dead end and then just lay down in the middle of the cornfield, right? And so this is part of it with grief. We walk through this valley. We walk through this maze of grief. There's a verse in Genesis chapter 34. Genesis chapter 37 verses 34 through 36. And it's talking about Jacob. Now Jacob thought that his son Joseph was dead. His brothers had brought back his coat of many colors that had been dipped in blood and they thought that that he was dead. And so it says that that Jacob put on sackcloth and ashes. He mourned for many days and that was cultural. That's what they did. That part was great. But then when you get to the next verse, it says Jacob's family came to him and it says Jacob refused to be comforted. And he said, I will go down to the grave in sorrow. And then the next verse says that Joseph was on his way to be sold to Potiphar. Now what was interesting there is that uh, God had everything under control. God was setting up Joseph to be the ruler of a nation, to actually save. He was going to be the second in command, the prime minister of Egypt, and eventually save all of Israel who was going to go into a famine. And one of those who was saved was going to be Jacob. God had that in, in place, but he couldn't see it. Because he was grieving as those without hope. He was uninformed of what God was doing. And so it says he grieved and he said he refused to be comforted. He stopped in that grief journey. He didn't walk through the maze. So we see that that grief is a choice. We not only choose to grieve, but we choose to allow ourselves to be healed and not to get stuck in grief. Some of you might be stuck in grief. There's a grief that's a normal grief, but there's also a spirit of grief and sorrow that can come upon us that's from the enemy that would try to overwhelm us, to throw us into depression, to get us where we can't even move, can't even function. And that we need to resist that. We need to keep walking and not become prey to that. The other thing we see in Psalm 23 is he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He inserts a, a word in there that the death is not the valley of death, it's the shadow of death. I heard about a pastor that was coming home from the, the funeral of his wife and his, his uh, small children were in the back of the car and, and they were grieving and one of them said, Dad, I just don't understand. And right about that time, this big truck passed the car and the shadow of the truck fell over the car and he turned to the kids and he said, would you rather be hit by the truck or by the shadow? And they said, well, by the shadow, Dad, because that doesn't hurt. He says, that's right. He says, Jesus got hit by the truck so that we only have to see the shadow. And so we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We have a hope that that death is not the end. We will see our loved ones again. 
David said when his, uh, David in the Bible had a baby that died and, and he said, I, he can't come to me, but I will go to him. And, and David quit grieving at that moment. He took off his sackcloth and ashes and, and he said, I have a hope that I will join him someday. That's the hope that we have as believers. And then the last part of that, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. See, that's the main point to get. When we are grieving, we're not going through our grief alone. It may feel like it. Uh, you know, our, our friends, our family, you know, they're with us for the first few days, and then they start, life kind of goes back to normal for them, and it never goes back to normal for us, right? But you're not alone. Jesus is with you. God is with you. He's with us when we walk through that valley, through that maze. So what's the solution? Let's cut to the chase. Let's cut to the end of the sermon. What's the answer to us? You know, we talked last week about uh, bringing uh, life from chaos. And one of the ways to do that is when this world was without form or void, God spoke and life came to chaos. If you missed that sermon, get that sermon. Uh, one of the ways to defeat chaos in our life is to get a revelation from God. And death is the ultimate chaos. And so when you're dealing with death, when you're dealing with grief, you need a revelation from God. Now, revelation comes in two parts. One type of revelation is a what I'll call a corporate revelation. There are some promises that all of us have as believers. We all know that God will never leave us or forsake us. We all know that we have hope. We've read those. So there are promises in the Bible. And so I want you to get revelation from the Word of God on what He has for you. But there's also a very specific revelation that God wants to do for your life. He wants to speak a very specific word to you that can just change everything. Some of you have heard of Stephen Curtis Chapman, a Christian singer, songwriter. And kind of an interesting connection is before Beth and I got married, she lived in Tennessee in Nashville. And the church she went to, Christ Community, was the church that Stephen Curtis and his wife, was it Mary Beth, is that his wife's name? They went to her church. And so, yeah, she's kind of highfalutin here. You know, I married up. All of us guys marry up, that's for sure. So... So she, she went to church with, with uh, them. And during this time she was there, uh, one of the things that was real significant in the life of that church is uh, Stephen Curtis and his wife, they have uh, six kids. And their youngest daughter, Maria, was playing out in the yard with, with one of her siblings. And their son backed over her with the SUV and she died. Just, just a horrible tragedy. And so here's this family trying to walk through this grief, this loss, and even trying to help their kids as one of the kids involved in it. You know, you can imagine the, the guilt, the shame, everything else. And, and so as a church family, you rally around, you walk through these things with them. And so it's very impactful on their church. And some of the songs that, that he's written out of that experience are, are just some really powerful, powerful songs. But he, I was just listening this week to a sermon that, that he, well, an interview that, that uh, Stephen Curtis gave about that time in his life. And he said when he was coming home from the funeral, he was saying, God, I need a word from you to make sense of this. I, I, I know logically that you're good, that you're in control, but it's one thing to know it here. You've got to get it here. And you just can't make sense of this stuff. And so you're, he's saying, God, I, I need 
to hear something from you. He says when he got home, he said Maria used to love to draw and he walked over and she had this little art table that she had been coloring a a picture on the the day before, the, the day she died. And that picture was still on the art table and he walked over and he picked up the picture and it was a flower with six petals and only one of the petals was colored in and it was colored in with her favorite color. And it's like God spoke to him and he said, you know, your goal as a parent is to have all these petals covered in, to have all your kids in heaven. One of your kids is in heaven now and there's five more petals that will be colored in eventually. And he said that just provided such comfort, such peace to him to see that picture with the one petal covered in, colored in. And actually he made that as the album cover for one of his albums. But you know, each one of us, we need a revelation from God. How do I deal with this loss? How do I deal with this senseless thing? How do I get through it? For some of us, maybe it's a verse you read. Maybe it's something somebody tells you. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's just feeling God's presence just kind of overwhelm you with the peace, the comfort that you know is something outside of you. And you just kind of know that, hey, it's going to be okay. I, I don't know what it is for you, but I do know that His Word promises that when we walk through that valley of the shadow of death, He walks through it with us. Last point I want to make is I mentioned that Getting through grief is a choice. <coughs> Jacob refused to be comforted. I, I have a friend of mine that's in... A, I, I run a, a men's bereavement group on Tuesday mornings at Union Hospital. And, and one of my friends in, in that group has uh, given me permission to, to share this. And uh, His name's Joel Harbaugh. And uh, Joel... Uh, his, I think it was four years ago. His wife passed away from cancer when Joel was in his 40s. Uh, left him as a single dad with four children trying to pick up the pieces of something that was just totally unexpected, totally off guard. And uh, he shared in our grief group about that journey. But the, the thing that helped him the most in that first year when, when everything was just at its craziest is uh, <clears throat> Joel is kind of an artsy guy. And he decided that every day he was going to try to find something that he could be thankful for. And so he decided he was going to actually take a picture every day uh, and just kind of write, even if it's one sentence, he was just going to find one thing to be thankful for, take a picture of it. And he started doing this as a blog, and many people started following it and looking forward to seeing the picture. And he eventually put it in a book form. And it's called, It's Beautiful Here, A Year in the Eye of a Hurricane. And the subtitle is, Recognizing and Acknowledging Beauty Every Day is an especially important exercise when the world falls apart before your eyes. So he's saying when when the world falls apart, it's so important to recognize and acknowledge the beauty that's around you. And so every day he would take a picture, and and some days would be uh, things that you would expect. Uh, There would be maybe he'd come home and his kids were laughing around the computer. He snaps a picture of his kids playing a game, and, and he posts. But there's other days where... This day, uh, January 26th, there's just a picture outside his window of a barren tree in a blue, on a gloomy day. And he says, sometimes beauty is difficult to see. Really difficult. Gray day outside my family room, east and up. And so he takes a picture of this tree on a gloomy day. And he says, I'm going to stick with this discipline. Even when there's days that it's just gloomy out and the trees are barren, I'm going to still try to find something to be grateful for in my life. 
So he chose gratitude over satitude. That's the challenge that we have in those difficult times. But as we walk through that maze of grief, as we walk through that valley of the shadow of death, as we sow in tears, we will reap in joy. And we have the hope of the resurrection that we will see our loved ones again. We don't need to grieve as those who grieve without hope. I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward this morning. And I'm going to ask each one of you to bow your heads today. I'd just like to ask if you are here today and you've had a loss in your life and you'd just like to acknowledge that, just slip your hand up and down. We're not going to embarrass you. Almost everybody here, we've experienced loss in some form or another. Maybe you're here this morning and and maybe you're grieving right now and, and maybe you need a revelation from God. You need that revelatory word to really help you begin to turn the page. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and down right now? See those hands. Maybe you're here today and maybe, maybe you feel like you're stuck in your grief. You just kind of need some help to, to get through that maze. To find the right path. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and down today? See those hands. I'm going to ask our altar workers to come forward. If you'd like special prayer, we want to give you that opportunity. But uh, while they're coming up, I just want to pray a prayer for each one of you here today. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And Lord, I thank you that you're here for us. That you don't leave us to go through that valley of the shadow of death on our own, but you're with us every step of the way. Even the days we don't feel like you're there, you're still there. And Lord, for each one that's dealing with grief this morning, Lord, we just ask that you would just comfort them as only you can do. Lord, that you would give them that revelatory word from you to help them through this maze. Lord, to help them to make some sense of the senselessness. Lord, that you would relight that spark of hope within each one of us. So that we don't need to grieve as the rest of the world. We can grieve with hope. We can grieve with a trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, we want to invite you to come forward and we'd love to pray with you today. The book of Numbers chapter 6 verse 24 says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. May He be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and may He give you His peace. As you go forth from here today, may you be blessed. May you go forth with a heart that's soft to sow in tears. May you go forth with a revelation from the very throne of God of hope. And may you get unstuck from your grief. And may you overflow with a spirit of thanksgiving. In Christ's name, amen.